You're listening to the Functional Nerds Podcast with your hosts, Patrick Hester and Tracy Townsend. It was the week before Christmas. We're getting there. It's almost it's almost here, Tracy. It's almost here. It, it is as we speak in the in the crazy like pseudo time warp that is podcasting. We are a week away from Christmas mm-hmm. at the time of recording. So it's uh yeah, it's imminent. I'm getting to the point where I still have kids who are young enough to say things like how many sleeps till, which, you know, when that goes away, I'm sure I, I will I will have heartfelt feelings about it, but right now it's like it's like six sleeps, kid. Come on, let's do the, like, Let's do a sleep. Could we? I, I talked about this a little bit. My aunt and uncle kept going, did you put up a tree this year? And I said, no, yeah. I haven't. I haven't done any decorating this year uh, mm. for reasons. And yeah. they kept going, well, you should put a tree up. What about the cat? The cat's going to want a tree. You should have the tree with the cat, the cat. And I'm like, no, nah, <laughs> the cat can get over it. Like he didn't even know what day of the week it is, let alone that it's the time that the tree goes up. Like he has no clue. Well, oh it turned God. out the reason that they were asking so much is they actually sent me a couple of cute little ornaments. Oh, one, one oh. is a, is a, is they called it a mini shadow, the cat, cause it's a little black cat. And the other one is a, yeah, yeah. it says, Oh fudge on it. So <laughs> I kind of felt mm-hmm. bad. I didn't put up a tree, but now I kind of know why they were asking me to put up a tree. I did see a friend post on Facebook, a, a picture of a holiday themed, Oh, tissue box. You know, like yeah, tissue yeah. box. Yeah. I'm showing right, this on the video. This is great audio podcasting, it but is, it's it like, is. it's like a Christmassy one. And she went, she posted that and she says, Phew. Done with my Christmas decorations. <laughs> nice. Oh, you know what? Oh, 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 Christmas decorations. You know what goes on top of a tree? Hmm. Sometimes a star. A star. A and star. you know who we got? Ah, <laughs> oh, we got Monica Byrne here to talk about her latest book, The Actual Star. So see that? That is that is again brilliant podcasting. A plus nice. nominate us for the Hugo. It's a thing. Yeah. Best fan cast, definitely. <laughs> Monica, how are you? I'm good. It's so nice to be with you. Thank you so much for having me on your show. <laughs> <laughs> so now that you know that you're dealing with a couple of total goofballs, I'm sure that you will not email your publicists and say this is a terrible idea. I am Please. also <laughs> I am a professional goofball. Listen. Oh, that's excellent. I, yeah, we approve. <laughs> yes. I, I I will fit right in. Well, I, you know, as we're recording this, it's kind of funny. You you mentioned Hugo's. It, this is yeah. this is Hugo weekend. This is the Worldcon is happening in Dis, it, Discon. Yeah. It's in DC right now, I think. It is. Been seeing a lot of chatter on the Twitters and on Facebook from different people. Probably Instagram if I was ever there. Yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah. A lot Cannoli of Joe was there. Cannoli Joe is there. I'm sorry. What? Cannoli Joe, for reference, Monica is one of our is one of our longtime listeners who oh. uh, has has gained prominence in the lore of the show prior to my ever arriving on the show for incidents involving providing cannoli to Patrick and the former co-host. I yes. just I just had cannolis yesterday, and a well made cannoli there is nothing like it in the world. Oh my god. Yeah, the the cannoli story goes really far back. I'll tell you here in a sec. But but what I was gonna say is Cannoli Joe is at Worldcon. We should we should ping him because I think he's going to the business meetings as well. We should see oh, wow. if they would be willing to do a new Hugo category that is you know punny because I think I could win a punny Hugo. Yeah, like best professional goofball to go yes. going back to Monica's point before exactly. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yes. Stiff competition, hey, man. Who would that be named after? Who would that be named after? I mean, 
Douglas the Adams, is, clearly. D- Douglas oh, Adams, though, is a clear like oh. he's a he yeah. Was a yeah professional I mean, like that. The Adams slash the Adams hyphen Pratchett Award. Oh, yeah. for professional inanity. Yes. Um, <laughs> you know, something like that. That's great. We were we were talking a little bit in the green room about my past. I actually was born in Chicago, and I grew up for a little while in my dad's Italian restaurant. So that's that's where the cannoli like kinda, Garfield. Yeah. kind of comes from originally. <laughs> and over many decades, eventually I got to Denver. And I remember I was working with this guy uh, and and he was telling me about Denver and the different foods and different things that you can get here. And, and I said, what I really miss is cannoli. I said, I've had a hard time getting a good cannoli since I left Chicago. I said, even in California where I live for a little while, there wasn't really good cannoli. They were small. They were tiny little mini cannolis is what you could get usually. Oh, and he's like, like really? Yeah, he goes, really? Good... You like cannoli? And he, he was like disgusted that I would I would be interested in this this thing. And I said, yeah. So he goes, okay, we'll, we'll go to lunch. He takes me to lunch to this place on Federal that served what they called cannoli. And the cannoli was the cannoli shell with uh, Italian sausage and cheese inside and marinara sauce on top. It was a smothered savory cannoli and that's why he couldn't figure out why the hell anyone would want this disgusting thing that's a strong and i said no, that's, so, that's, that's not a cannoli totally different <laughs> yeah. yeah 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 and so i've lamented this for years and eventually when former co-host and i were invited to go to capricorn as guests of honor i i made sure you know i told cannoli joe that he needed to provide me with a cannoli as part of the deal mm-hmm <laughs> and and he delivered, I assume, thus securing his legacy yes. as 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 Cannoli Joe. Yeah, wow. yeah. Good thus to history know. is made. The award ceremony is tonight, I think. Right. Well, uh, on the day I think that they we started are... a day early. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Got it. Yeah, I know. Yesterday days. was the was the party for nominees. Yeah. I want to say, uh, and I want to say it's already day three. So they started on Wednesday or Thursday. Thursday? Yeah. yeah. So they started early. They're doing it a little different. Seems to I have on. FOMO. I have never been to the only major convention I've ever been to was WizCon. And I loved it. Mm-hmm. I, it, it was great. But I, I, I'm not as much of a con goer as as lots of other fans and writers are. And but when I do go, I, I really enjoy it. I'm going to throw out there that if you you're you're an East Coast person. Yes. Um, and so I mean, this is I mean, the East Coast is huge. So this is not necessarily a big improvement and distance to travel. But I'm a big fan of ReaderCon, which takes place in the greater Boston area. And especially if you like cons, but you don't necessarily tap into like all the media annexes of it, like cosplay isn't your thing. And like, you're not too interested in like movie panels or things like that. Or like it really, is, it, it, it earns its name. It's like just, just sort of a lit track kind of thing. And they also have fantastic parties. Like the con culture is just really solid. And size-wise, the con is exactly, I think, the right size yeah. for for what they do. Yeah. Um, so I would highly recommend ReaderCon, which I believe may be returning physically this year, or I may I may be incorrect there. I don't know. I don't know for sure. Well, they, they um, may have plans for it, and who knows what everybody's plans are going to be after the next like couple of weeks yeah. because yeah. Yeah, right. But no, yeah. I've, I've heard wonderful things about ReaderCon, and that that's top of my list. So, on the subject of plans, yes, I know that you are about to to do a fact finding and research mission for your next book, but I don't want to sleep on the book that got you here <laughs> to talk with us. So, so let's. I want to 
talk particularly about the, the angle that I keep seeing and in the, I've, I've been sent a copy of the actual star and I promise yes. that I've been reading it, but mm-hmm. I'm not far in. So please forgive me. Under, understood. Um, it's but, a big book. <laughs> and so one of the things that keeps cropping up about the actual star is so many people talking about how as a distant future, like 31st century, 30th century or so narrative that contends with what's happening to the climate and what's happening to our world right now, that it has a, uh, the, the term that keeps coming up in reviews that I've seen is surprising optimism. Mm-hmm. And I think especially because of this whole idea of planning for the future and will there be face-to-face cons and are we hurtling towards the sun? And that's why it was literally 70 degrees in Chicago two days ago in December. The idea of a text that's confronting our problems, but confronting it with optimism is I don't know, refreshing and take me there. Like talk, mm-hmm. talk to us about where this is coming from. Well, I can tell you it is, it's optimistic in 3012. What other readers <laughs> have pointed out to me is that, and, and, you know, there are references to this in the text that the world has undergone massive trauma in order to get to that 3012 of a utopian nomadic global society. The world population I think is 8 million. So that's, 9 billion to 8 million. And a friend of mine was challenging me recently being like, that means there's a massive die off. And I was like, well, no, maybe, but with like lower birth rates. And he was like, no, there's a massive die off. And there is a reason. There's a small fraction of 1 billion, let alone nine. Yeah, exactly. And so there is a reason that I skipped from 2012 to 3012, because I feel like we are inundated, so to speak, with versions of the near future and depictions of the near future that are all about the catastrophe. And I wanted to say there is a light beyond that, beyond that, assuming the very worst in the climate, because the actual star begins with the last of the world's ice melting. That's how it begins. Mm. And by that time, everybody's fine with it because humanity has literally evolved to deal with it. They've evolved not only the social technology, but the physical and the biological biological technology to survive in any environment at all. And that is the direction in which technology has been focused for hundreds of years now. And so if we can imagine just a radical reorientation towards human well-being, that's mm-hmm. you know the, the meaning of Fujitech. Fujitech is a is a word in the book that comes from refugee technology then we can see a way forward. If we persist, on the other hand, in endless growth and profit techno- profit-motivated technology, which is what's going to happen, you know, in, in the next 50 or 100 years in the realm of the actual star, then we're screwed. Yeah. Yeah. So it, it requires a radical reorientation. And I don't cover that in the book. I refer to it Sort of like, you know, referring to the Butlerian jihad in Dune. You know, it's just like this thing that happened at a certain point where we yeah. stopped, you know, using machines for external reliance on external machines. And that's how Mentats yeah. came about and everything. So I refer yeah. to it, but I don't go into it. It's not quite a narrative hand wave. It's more like a narrative gesture on behalf of the docent towards this sort of like, like, and now we're passing through the exhibit where the things happened and like, oh, let's go to this hall. And yeah, I, 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 totally. I see what you mean there. So yeah. it is. I mean, I mean, it's also dystopian in the sense that like, I just, 
I chose which time periods to focus on. I chose <laughs> to skip the entire part where humanity is going through massive trauma and getting and got to the other side of it. Yeah. Yeah. I I was just gonna say, I you you, you told me something I didn't know about Dune. Oh. Which, which is so what? We're, we're, the the Mentats. Oh yeah. Mm. Well, I mean, okay. I didn't know that. I am not I, I know the Mentats came about because of needing humans to be trained as computers so that humans would no longer be reliant on uh, external computers and machines. Um, I'm not an expert. <laughs> There's going to be listeners who are going to email you. <laughs> oh, that's fine. I, 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 I read the first book. I don't think I read any of the other books. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I certainly didn't read any of the multitudes of uh, books that that the, uh, his son and, and KJA mm-hmm. did together. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. I just I, it wasn't. I'm not saying that they're good or bad or or that I'm indifferent. It's just that wasn't my jam, right? Yeah. So I, I read the first book, and uh, I enjoyed the first book, but at the same time, I felt like that was a was a heavy lift at the time. And I didn't yeah, feel yeah. necessarily like going any further. So I just didn't know that. Right. Right. Yeah. If that makes sense. Like, so I guess the, the, the bulk of my Dune knowledge at this point is, is in, encompassed into a couple of movies and a, a, a mini series that was on the channel formerly known as sci-fi. Oh God, that mm-hmm. mini series. Uh, that was a crime against humanity. <laughs> I think yeah, we have uh, every every month for our Patreon feed. We do a, a, a what we call a Just Us episode that the patrons have access to. And we, we actually recorded that just a couple days ago. And we spent a long time talking about adaptations and sort of like why they why they work or why they don't or what we wish we could see. And um, yeah, there's that kind of narrative that goes through SF that certain things are unadaptable. You were talking about this a little bit, Patrick, um, yeah. like that there's certain properties that just like, nope, don't even try it. It's not going to work. And for a long time, that was the narrative on foundation that like you can't you can't go to Asimov's foundation and make a thing of it. But obviously it's happening. Apple TV's all over it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I sort of it does make me wonder if part of what adaptations and television producers or like whatever the adaptation is, but I guess we'll focus on film. Part of what they balk at is that kind of like the docent hand wave that you were just talking about, where there is this like, there's this massive meta text to the narrative, right? That we can't get to exactly. And what do you do to satisfy? Because a reading audience is a different thing than a viewing audience. Yes. Like I think there's different tolerances that come in. And I know that you know what I'm talking about because you're also a playwright. Yes. And although the viewing audience for, for film is different than the viewing audience viewing audience for live theater, there's there's a bit of a Venn diagram there. Well, I'm I'm starting to write screenplays, actually. And so mm, that's okay. yeah, starting yeah. to get into Hollywood. And so thinking about that a lot. And I mean, I I don't think there is anything that is fundamentally unadaptable. I think the most unadaptable thing I can think of is Always Coming Home by Ursula K. Le Guin, which is basically, it's a massive ethnography of a far, far future society in California, I'm pretty sure. Um, mm-hmm. And it's, it's the most nonlinear thing you can imagine, but like anything can be adapted. I've, I firmly believe that it may require money, 
<laughs> which streamers are very, very willing to shell out right now. Um, but I don't think anything is inherently unadaptable. I um, I wanted to save this for my picks of the week, but but the Wheel of Time adaptation, I grew up on the books. I loved the books. It was my entire universe. And I love the adaptation so much. I just, I love the choices that they're making. I love the the machete that they've taken to the source material, which is necessary to tell a coherent story because it's just such a big world. So anyway, yeah. You can you can still have that as your pick. You okay. <laughs> okay, okay. I'll talk about it more later then. <laughs> I won't I won't tell you one of the things that Patrick was talking about during that Just Us episode, oh, but no. it might be something that you just talked about. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Got it. Understood. <laughs> we thrive no, I, based on our differences. Right. We I I one of the things I, I keep trying to say is that the people who love it, awesome. Good. I'm glad you I'm glad that you're finding something that you love. You know, I, I I feel that as a as this you know our community is has more power than we've ever had before over media because so much of what we love is coming to life on the big screen. You, know, you look at Marvel movies; uh, so much of what we love is coming to the big screen and sucking. You look at DC movies. <laughs> uh, you know, there's small screen stuff. I started The Witcher season two last night, and I was blown away. I'm like. They continue, I, I have read those books as well, and they continue to hit the beats and find the the core of it really, really well. And I'm mm -hmm. like, this is awesome. Like they're doing a great job. And the, the thing is, it's like, I, I feel like if we don't support something that comes out, even if we don't like it, if we don't support it, we're not going to get the next thing. Because mm -hmm. they're yeah. going to go, they're going to go. There's an ecosystem here. Yeah, they're yeah. going to go, we made no money off this. So we're not going to do this again. And there's been lots of posts about that. Lots of people talking about the fact that, you know, if Wheel of Time doesn't doesn't do well, that could hurt us for fantasy on television moving forward mm -hmm. because yeah. they're spending 10 million bucks an episode on it. And that that's you know, like, true. <laughs> it's like, what's that going to do to the Lord of the Rings show that they're doing? Yes. You know, if, yeah. if, if it yeah. doesn't hit, if it doesn't find an audience. So I, I, I hope that it finds an audience. Mm -hmm. Right now, I'm struggling and I don't think that audience is me. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. There yeah. are lots of things that I like. I love the diversity of the cast. I, I love those elements that they're doing. I love that they're taking little bits and pieces that were side comments, you know, uh, I'm not trying to give spoilers, but, you know, Moraine and Schwann, like th that was mentioned in the books, but it was never fully, fully Well, no sex scenes were realized. shown. No sex scenes were yeah. shown in, in the whole book. And that's why we have fan fiction. That is one of the first things. <laughs> that is one of the first things I ever read yeah. on the internet was a fan fiction <laughs> chapter of a uh, huge spoiler here. So just if you don't want to know, yeah, just close your eyes. Turn down the volume for like, for like, yes. yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. So the sex scene between Rand and Avienda, the far snows. Okay. Now you can come yep. back. So that is the yeah, first okay, so thing. Volume up. Volume up. <laughs> that is the first thing I read on the internet when the internet was happening in like 1995 or 96. That's why we have fan fiction. And that's why we have, I mean, I was watching last night's episode. And I won't spoil it because otherwise it's just spoiler, spoiler, spoiler. But just like yeah, yeah. my 15 year old self seeing the two people who kissed kissing, 
I was crying because I was, <laughs> like, I was like, oh my God, this, this is, these books were so important to me right when I was 15, 16, 17 and going through a very hard time. And they were my solace and seeing yeah. this in fleshed, you know, these words in flesh just means more to me than I can say. I can also understand if it doesn't fit somebody's, you know, vision or, or it doesn't, isn't hitting the same beats that they need. Yeah. For me, it's and I just, guess to, yeah. To, yeah, to fuse together your point, Patrick, and, mm-hmm. and yours, Monica, I think that's kind of what it's about, right? That there are so many things in these in this story building world and this genre universe that we value as individuals, or we value as little sub communities, and that maybe though it may belong to us or we feel like it does on an emotional level. And then there are other people where that's just absolutely not their thing or or it is their thing, but then it comes into being in a way that isn't what they hope to see or or whatever. Um, but just sort of allowing everyone to have that experience of this thing was really important to me and now it's coming into being and curbing the instinct to be like, I, I have seen a thing of which I cannot 100% approve. Now the universe must know of my disapproval and sort of going out and airing all those grievances online and turning it into like the festivus of filmmaking. Um, (laughs) Like if we, if we don't curb that, then we're sending a message exactly like Patrick was talking about that's going to starve the ecosystem. Yes. Um, because publishers of books, makers of film, makers of television series, showrunners, producers, all these people are, um, I think creative courage is a word that gets thrown around or a phrase or a concept mm-hmm. that gets thrown around a lot. Like, oh, this is a courageous decision or visionary or whatever. Mm-hmm. Those things only happen. You only get to get those labels if you've done a lot of surefire bets yeah yes and that is very true they uh, these these different um you know backers and different players in the game of producing the stories that we value and get excited by um they want sure bets and it's it's never a sure bet for everyone right but i think Mm -hmm. just sort of getting out of the way of the good things that are happening for other people yes has a net benefit for it's that rising tide that lifts all boats right yes Yes. and i i do make an exception for certain things so for example well now i feel bad about saying what i said about the sci-fi dune adaptation because again that was that's part of the ecosystem and some people did grow up in that there are also some things in the ecosystem that are so durable (laughs) no i'm being completely serious there are some things that like they are the zombies that you cannot kill with fire Uh like you can't they're the white walkers of of the genre right like no one's ever gonna stop going to philip dick short stories yeah no one's ever gonna stop going to asimov as Uh a source no one's ever gonna stop paying attention to to frank herbert and saying but how how do we make it happen? Yeah. Like they're pretty much bulletproof. Like the individual ways that people approach them may get panned or may not succeed, mm-hmm. but like as, as brand entities, yeah, they're, they're durable enough, but there yeah. are lots of other things that I think are not, that haven't quite hit that level of durability. They're a little bit more fragile. But I, I'm yeah. going to throw it out there. I have a question for Monica, but uh, yes. before I ask the question, I will throw it out there without that mini series. Mm-hmm. We might not have James McAvoy. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That yeah. was That's his. That was his start. Yeah, that was the first big thing that he did. And right after that, he did. There's uh, the movie with Keira Knightley, but then there's also he. He was Mr. Tumnus. 
he was Mr. Tumnus in in two thousand five yeah, uh, yeah. or whatever it was. Wasn't, yeah. wasn't he also? Wasn't he also on, on the, the Witch in the Wardrobe? The British yeah. version of of Shameless was that him? I don't know, but he's was he the boyfriend on that. I don't know. He was so, so talented. So, You're right. Yeah. So a blonde Paul Atreides. Okay, <laughs> we can trade that for having James McAvee among us now. Okay. <laughs> So, so my question, so this is, again, this is kind of spoilery for Wheel of Time, but I, and I've talked, I've talked with Violet one of our patrons down. about Violet this. <laughs> Robert and I have chatted about this, uh-huh. but uh, yeah, if you want to skip ahead and like skip ahead two minutes or something. Wait, Robert, like Robert Jordan? No, Robert Junker. Oh He's, God, I was going to drop <laughs> names of patrons yeah. and you're yeah, going to think sorry. that we're like so well connected. It's going to be amazing. <laughs> okay. No, no, it's like. It's like, yeah, I talked to Bob. Cannoli Joe, yeah. who is actually Joe Hill. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, yeah. So, <laughs> so, so it, this is not a spoiler. They have recast the actor playing Matt. Yes. They recast him before the show ever dropped its first episode. Wow. So they said season two and forward is a different actor. Mm-hmm. What I want to know is, do you think the choice that they recently made with Matt is because of the recasting. I have wondered that. I have. I wondered, wondered that. that as well. I I'm, do I'm, not I'm, know. They have been tight-lipped about what was going on. Yeah. And I'm wondering if something happened. Yeah. That I, they're not talking about, and that's why they recast that that actor. Yeah, and and I don't want to speculate uh, on a on a recorded. In, in a recorded <laughs> you know, um, well, yeah, no, but I'm just curious. Like, they, they made a choice in, in episode six. They did. That was very, very interesting to me. Yes. And my brain immediately went to, well, they did recast the character. I wonder yes. if, if, if this is what's going on. Like they, they just decided this is the path we're going to take yeah. until we bring the new actor in as well, this character. This is the thing. It's like with, with TV and with film, you are working with a totally different set of constraints as you are uh, when you're a writer. When you're a writer, you can just make shit up. You can just do anything. You can just, you don't have to worry about actors casting or getting along together or, you know, being available or being sick or anything like that. And so I tend to be and now I'm searching my memory for exceptions to this, but I f- I'd like to believe that I tend to be more forgiving than not towards adaptation, just starting to get into Hollywood and dipping my toe into all of that and seeing how hard it is. I cannot sure. believe how hard it is and how many moving parts have to work together to make anything. So I- I'm just amazed that anything works at all right now that that's where i am in 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 hollywood and so what wheel of time is doing to me is like miraculous so yeah and that's why i've struggled so much because yeah and that's why i've struggled so much with this because because it it is to the same point that you had like it was it was huge for me like Mm -hmm. i love those books yeah and that there's a very long story behind it, but for for the better part of the late 90s, I stopped reading science fiction and fantasy. I stopped doing that stuff. And then when I took this job that had me traveling all the time, I picked up 
science fiction and fantasy again and started reading books ravenously. And one of the very first series that I picked up was The Wheel of Time uh, yeah. and, and started going through those books uh-huh. and just reading through them, you know, as, as fast as possible. Totally. Consuming them. Same. Yeah. And, and then moved on to things like, you know, Kate Elliott uh, had the, the, the uh, old Crown of Stars series. So uh-huh. I got into that one really big. Mm-hmm. I got into Tad Williams and the Dragonbone Chair. I got into the Magic of Recluse from Modisette. Mm-hmm. I found these these books that were meant to be sequels to The Lord of the Rings by Dennis L. McKiernan, hmm. but uh, he never got the permission, so he changed it and made it its own world. But it's still, if you read it, it feels like yeah that that yeah. world and that setting a little bit. Uh-huh. So I, I just got into all those things, yeah, and 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 just really loved it. And and I don't want to. I don't want to shit on anybody's joy anymore. Like yeah. the people yeah, 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 who yeah. love this stuff. Yes. Awesome. I'm glad that you found something that you loved. Yeah. You know, I might just move on to something else. So, so the, the way that I feel about that, that I've come around to the same conclusion on is uh, comic book and superhero adaptations, because uh, I had an editor who had a theory that um, you are a fantasy person, science fiction person, comics po- person, and you'll find so many people who are two of the three, but very rarely all three. <laughs> and I was very much a science fiction and fantasy person, and I just never touched comics at all. And so I have no emotional attachment to them whatsoever. And so I have historically shat on superhero <laughs> movies and, and adaptations and just, um, but like, it, you know, it's the same, like do, do as you will to other people or, or, or um, the golden rule, you know, <laughs> treat other people as you would want to be treated. And so um, if I say something really snarky about, you know, DC or the Marvel universe or whatever, and other people are deriving so much joy from that, like, what am I doing? <laughs> you know? Yeah. So yeah. stop doing that. Yeah. And, and the other, the other side of this that I want to mention is that any edit adaptation is going to piss someone somewhere yes. off and there's absolutely nothing we can do about yeah, it. Yeah, totally. You know, we talked about foundation there. There's a, uh, I saw lots of chatter from people in science fiction community who are going, Oh my God, they ruined foundation because of the way they did empire. Uh huh. I, I haven't okay. watched it by the way. I, I started reading it when I was 14 and I thought it was so badly written like at 14, I was just like, I can't believe how badly this is written. I can't believe this is a classic. And I stopped reading it. I am interested in watching the TV show at some point, but um, yeah. I found that that reading the older stuff can be difficult just because of how much language has changed and how yeah. much ideas and opinions have changed. Uh, we talked about Mer Lafferty before uh-huh. we recording. Mer, I remember, went through and got her MFA. I want to uh-huh. say, I think is the, is the, the correct term. Yes. And as part of that had to read Frankenstein, the original Frankenstein <gasps> and talked about how difficult that was to get through just huh. as a, as a text. Really? I'm yeah. going to jump in. I'm going to jump in here. Here comes the teacher. Here comes wait, the teacher. I loved it. <laughs> so like, I loved so, it when I read it. <laughs> okay. So here's the thing about Frankenstein that I, 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 I don't know is is if it's, oh, I know what it's you're not say. common it's not common knowledge but I know it what is you're gonna say. Oh okay all right. So um 
I teach or I have taught Frankenstein many, many times. And one of the first things that I do with my students after they, because I tip, it's split into three books. And so I, you know, books and sort of the sense of like yeah. mega large chapters kind yeah. of. Um, and so I have them read a book at a time and have them read the first book. And they are inevitably like, uh, about the language, right? Because because they are, um, and that's when I take them to the back of the Norton edition, right, where there are of course many different essays and critical exegeses and this and that and the other thing, and I take them to the piece where they compare the manuscripts between Mary Shelley's original manuscript and Percy Bysshe Shelley's edits, huh. and. Percy Bysshe Shelley is responsible for that language that you love, Monica. Oh, because shit. for yeah, <laughs> there is a table in the back of one of the many Norton editions uh -huh. that I now wish I could like run into another room and quickly find the book, but I can't, so I won't. Yeah. Um, but there's a table that breaks down some of the more uh, sentence level. I don't want to say egregious exactly, but let us say dramatic yeah. shifts in the language. Right. Yeah. For example. Um, there's that moment uh, on the glacier where the the creature finally confronts Victor face to face and is like, yo, 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 I don't want to be in conflict with you. Let me tell you my origin story. And that's book two is a whole origin story thing. Right. Yeah. And one of the things that he says very famously is I do not wish to set myself in opposition to thee. Mm -hmm. And the original text as written by Mary Shelley is I do not wish to be your enemy. Huh. That's and so Mary Shelley's language is very plain, huh. very direct. Oh, wow. Um there's a there's in book you 1 when Victor when, yeah. when book 1 when Victor is describing his family, he says none of us held the slightest preeminence over one another. Um the original phrase is we were all equals. <laughs> Jesus. And so it's really <laughs> Percy Bysshe Shelley just went in there and was like, let's flower this up, bitches. And just like went off, right? It's like, it's crazy. Like the wow. sheer word count explosion. There must have been like a plus 30% words yeah. added by like adjectival phrases alone. Um, and so it's it's sort of fascinating. And I sort of tell them like, and it turns into this whole separate conversation about um, sort of intrusion upon the uh, the authorship of the text and yeah. sort of the fact that Percy Bysshe Shelley was like writing all of these glowing reviews of the book when it was first anonymously published, which is super sketchy, but fine. Yeah. Um, oh. And all of this sort of, and so there's, there's so many ways in which the voices of certain people, particularly women writers yes. over time have been, intruded upon or sort of co-opted yeah. by other people in their publishing process. And one of the best examples is Mary Shelley. Yeah. The core narrative is hers. Yeah. Um, but the language is to a tremendous degree really fed through this filter of PB Shelley. Yeah. 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 I, I have wondered a lot about this question of accessibility because yeah. I intend to write in a very Hemingway style of accessibility where there are clear mm. declarative sentences where you can easily tell what is happening and what, what yeah. is, who is in the scene, who is where, like you, you can Apparently see Apparently Mary was on your who, team. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and, and Ernest. Who, who was um, on first? I'm just saying who was on first. Uh, uh, well, I, I, I know Ernest Hemingway 
developed his style partially because he was a journalist and because the first, you know, imperative of a journalist is to answer who, what, where, why, how, you know? And, and so I very much feel like I'm working in that tradition, but just like wanting to be understood in, and that's a contrast too. And I'm very much simplifying, but like the Faulkners and the Joyce's who I cannot stand. Like I, I get if you love Faulkner and Joyce, but I'm just like, you're it's like a fever dream of of text instead of like tell me a story anyway all of which is to say that i have i get wildly different reactions about how accessible my book is um and that that happened with the girl in the road too that on one hand people are like oh no it's very clear i could always tell what was going on and it was very easy to read and then other people uh and other critics and this is a a uh, comment I get very often, which is interesting to me, is that I don't hold the reader's hand, which feels very gendered to me. <laughs> you know, it, mm. it feels like a really gendered comment, like that I don't hold the reader's hand. And I'm like, am I supposed to? Also, I was trying to. It, it brings up all like kinds of conflicting <laughs> feelings in me because I write to yeah. be accessible and to tell a clear story that is also not mutually exclusive with being lyrical and beautiful, you know, um, but I think this, I, I, I'm also on Mary Shelley's team, uh, apparently. And I would love to read her original version. Are, like, is the original out there? It does published? not exist anymore, yeah. only in very small fragments. Like the, the original, the original in its entirety does not exist. Um, portions horrible. of it exist. So there's the, the comparison that I was just describing yeah. is based on, significant chunks but not the text in its entirety got it so this yeah, is one of those tragic when, it's like sappho that we yeah this is one of those instances where i wish we actually did share the video because monica <laughs> she's kind of a journey right the now. whole like yeah the face <laughs> and like the there's been head in the hands and yeah. there's been like i i think it looks it looks like i told her that i just ran over her dog yeah no um, you, you yeah. rock her world <laughs> I am yeah. I'm very expressive. I have been told this. I whenever I go to my friends' plays, they have me sit in the front so that I can oh. Well, yeah, because like I'm so expressive. Yes, yeah. exactly. And that's what actors look for when they're on stage. They yeah. want someone to like see that someone is engaged and so. Yeah, did that did that hit or not? Here's Monica. <laughs> like oh it hit like that's good that was also great radio by the way yeah, yes, yes. everyone's awesome. gonna love that just uh, everybody we... who's listening uh, uh expression of total uh mouth agape and eyes yes sense. yeah it was, it was really sort of like uh it was a uh, it was really a, a a the edvard munch the scream sort of thing yeah, yeah. now there. now Believe it or not, believe it. Now we've had we've had an awesome conversation so far, but believe it or not, we're running out of time. So if we want to do picks of the week, we got to do them now. Oh, okay. So I think I think we know Monica's pick. I yes. think we do. But okay. picks of the week. All right. So 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 how do we like do do Monica? Do you want to tell people what your pick of the week? Sure. Is? Like, is I mean, there... my my pick of the week is the Wheel of Time series. <laughs> It is the Wheel of Time series. I I do not rewatch TV episodes because there's so oh, much to watch. Okay. And I have rewatched every single episode just because I am so enthralled by this, this text becoming incarnate 
and I cannot get enough of it and I cannot get enough of the world. And I love many of the choices that they're making, especially the casual queerness and especially the incredible diversity of the world, which are two things and the equal opportunity nudity. Also very uh, thrilled about that. I I feel like Daniel Henney might have like a, a baseline of nudity written into his contract because he has appeared shirtless and or outfitless several times at this point. And I, I'm just like, that's correcting the game of Thrones fantasy trope that I, in a way I really appreciate. So thank you, Rafe Judkins. (laughs) (laughs) There's, there's no spoiler here, but, but the, uh, Lan and Moraine take a bath. Yes, they do. (laughs) And, and someone, someone wrote a, a review about this. They're going, they said, I was expecting this to turn into the Game of Thrones scene where it's now gratuitous sex, and it didn't. It it's because these two characters, whether it's in the book or whether it's on the show, have so much respect for each other and are such good just companions to each other. They're just taking a soak. That's all it is. And, totally. and it's like, let's keep talking about the dragon. Like, we're, we got to find the dragon. Like, we got to find him. He's out yes. here somewhere. Or she's out here somewhere. You know, like, and, and then Lan and complains it's just, that it's such not a hot enough. Scene. Lan, Lan no. complains yeah. that it's not hot enough and Maureen makes it hotter. The water. Yep. Yep. <laughs> that's it. It was, it was a it. great scene. It was a great and there was no there was no there was no gratuitous nudity for the sake of gratuitous nudity nudity like there's a it, little it wasn't, bit it wasn't well I mean it well I'm saying it wasn't the Game of Thrones thing where Game of Thrones it would have been boobs right right and it wasn't it was a male it, butt they didn't was do it the that. Witcher thing with booty it it, it was it was it, it was, was land booty it was yeah, land okay. booty booty's good booty's yeah. good yeah Captain America yeah. okay so. You, yeah, I, I'm. That's my pick of the week. What about you, Tracy? All right. Um, I am reading because of the holiday season. Terry Pratchett's Hogfather, nice. which, if you're not familiar with it, is one of the Discworld books that even if you don't really know Discworld, you can just pick it up and jump in. Uh, and the Hogfather is kind of the Discworld analog to Santa. And this is not a spoiler because it happens very quickly in the beginning of it. Um, there is an an entity that has put a hit out on the Hogfather and has yep. hired the Guild of Assassins to murder him. And the unlikely hero of the story who is out to save the Hogfather is Death, because Death knows it's not the Hogfather's time. So yes. if you're interested in something which is comic and sweet, but also deeply introspective about what what is hope and what is imagination and what is the value of this sort of fiction that is not entirely a fiction of someone who goes to do good for no reason but the good, um, you should really check out Hogfather. It is it is a wonderful cuddled up on the couch read. And I will throw it out there that there's also an incredibly fun BBC adaptation of the Hogfather. Yeah. And one of my favorite scenes is Death trying to be the Hogfather. Mm. Ho, ho, ho. Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> and the guy right. goes, a little more emotion, sir. A little more emotion. Yes. Uh, my pick this week is completely different and, and, and odd and completely different from most things that I do. Uh, as people know, I toy around with musical instruments. Uh, I play guitar a little bit and I just recently bought a mandolin and I've been trying to learn that. 
uh, I like books that give me tons of songs that are easy to play. So I look for easy guitar songs kind of thing. And I came across this one from Hal Leonard. If you, if you know music books at all, Hal Leonard does a ton yeah. of music books. Uh, this one is actually called Campfire Songs. And what's different about this one is it's got 70 songs with lyrics, melody lines, and chord diagrams. Good. But uh, it does it for all the different stringed instruments you could possibly want. So oh, it wow. has guitar, mandolin, banjo, baritone ukulele, and standard ukulele. I didn't even know and, baritone ukulele was a thing. Yeah, Me either. And what's kind of what's kind of cool is how they do it. Uh, they do the chords for each one of these instruments on the left, uh-huh. and then the song itself on the right. Oh, I love that. That's so you good. can always see the chord diagrams and then what the song is, and the songs are always on one page. Nice. As a medium competent cool. guitar player, I appreciate. Same. I like it quite a we bit. Stand a legend. Yeah, it's got a ton of good songs in there and i've been playing the shit out of it so that's my pick it's called campfire songs by hal leonard all right folks if you're feeling like suddenly we've accelerated to warp speed (laughs) and our exit strategy from this it's it's because we've got to get to our next recording but we've been having such a blast with monica it's 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 hard to step away monica where can people find you your awesome books the tip tree award-winning the girl in the road from a couple years back and of course the actual star which has joined us this year in 2021 well today oh no it's going to be over by the time this airs um you can find it anywhere you can find it anywhere I was going to say there is a promotion, but that's only for today. Um, and you can find me on monicaburn.org. That is my website. And I also have a Patreon, which supports me doing everything that I do. And everybody listening will all also be familiar with Patreon. So yes, that's how Fantastic. I wrote the actual star was Patreon. All right, that's support. Monica Byrne, B-Y-R-N-E, folks. Thanks so much, Monica. Thanks so much. It was so nice to meet both of you. And, and I hope to see you again. <laughs> And it's that time of the show where the episode is over, but you want more. Well, you can't stay here, but you don't have to go home either. Unless you want to go home, in which case you can totally go home. But you still need something to listen to, right? Because this episode is over. Well, have I got a deal for you. It's called Beyond the Trope. And it's a podcast that's eerily similar to this one. Hmm. Anyway, Giles and Michelle are the forces behind Beyond the Trope. And they have a new episode every week, just like we have a new episode every week. They talk with best-selling authors, award-winning actors, and other leaders in the creative community, and then share those interviews over at their website, beyondthetrope.com. Isn't that convenient? So again, if you're looking for something else to listen to now that this episode is over... Go check them out at beyondthetrope.com. They even have a Patreon with extra stuff for people who back them, just like we do. So if you like what they do, visit their Patreon and back them. And as always, if you like what we do, please visit our Patreon at patreon.com slash functional nerds and back us. We have tons of cool things. Now, I've got this theory about Doctor Who Flux. It all begins back in a 1976 episode in the Tom Baker... Wait, wait, no, no, don't, don't fade out. This stuff is important. People want to hear this.